This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And just like that, we're back. Just like that, it's December. And just like that, time for another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. Thank you so much for joining. You know, I've done a couple of weeks now, and I haven't really hammered this home in the first 15 seconds. So we just went past 15 seconds. It's time to hammer it home. Get those five-star reviews in. We're closing in on 1,000. Got to get to, well, we don't have to, I guess. Got to is very strong. It's like saying, got to go for it on fourth down. Well, now half the time you crash and burn. We strongly want to get to 1,000 five-star reviews for this here podcast by the time, let's say, 2021 gets here. And at that point, we'll have much more reason to celebrate than just the five-star reviews hitting the threshold of 1,000. But let's try and get there. And with that, let's get into this morning's podcast. Thank you so much wherever you're listening, however you're listening. We got a loaded show for you this morning. Got a loaded week coming up. It's really, really busy. I mean, we've got conference schedules just in the heart of it right now. We're talking about the playoffs, and we've also got potentially major jobs coming open. We've got South Carolina already open. If you're not subscribed to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, you need to be there. We do Late Kick Live on there three nights a week. We also have several other videos, several other features, early signing days coming up. We got Wilt Fong's Whip Around on there. So everything you need to know, well, most of it can be found there. And then sometimes I have some more on the podcast and course, you need to be perusing the 247sports.com site, all the network of team sites, but there is a lot going on. So as I led the show off Sunday saying, and I'll lead this podcast off saying it, you may be a fan of Alabama and you have no problem staying tuned in right now, but let's say you're a fan of Georgia or let's say you're a fan of uh, Texas. Well, Texas got different reasons to stay tuned in, but like North Carolina, let's say you may have the propensity to tune out a little bit, to have your mind start drifting because your preseason goals are out the window. Mm-mm. Don't let this be the year you do that. Keep it locked in because there's a whole lot going on. And even if you yourself don't have a coaching search going on, when there is a coaching search that could potentially be going on at a program like Texas, and I'm about to talk about it in just a second, got a really good and really in-depth question to lead us off this morning. It affects the entire sport in ways you can never even imagine. So pay close attention. Pay very close attention because there's a lot that's inevitably going to happen over the next month that's going to impact a lot more of the sport than just the programs it happens to for years to come. So here's how Late Kick Extra works. We do it twice a week on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. It's strictly mailbag. You can email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com. You can tweet me at Late Kick Josh. DMs are open for the entire world, even if you aren't following me, but I humbly ask that you do follow me there. And we got some good stuff this morning, so I don't want to waste a whole lot more of your time. Let's dive in here, and this one's really, really in-depth. So I'm going to lead off with it. Now, this is Tariq. Tariq's a big Texas guy. And so he leads it off with this. Where does Texas go if they fire Tom Herman and cannot get Urban Meyer? Here's what I came up with. Give me your thoughts. Now, Tariq gave me a list. And I'm just going to go down what he said, and I'm going to give you my thoughts. He gave some brief thoughts on these names. Keep in mind, the entire premise here is Herman's out. 
which hasn't happened yet, but let's say Herman's out, but let's say they can't get Urban Meyer. Now, I think by 10 miles, Urban Meyer is the candidate. I spoke about that at length on Late Kick Live on Sunday night. If you haven't already listened to that show, it is actually right here. It's the last podcast in the feed before this show. So Tariq starts with Hugh Freeze. And he said, oh, Tennessee probably wouldn't consider him because of the baggage. I agree with that. I think Texas believes they can do better than Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze is pretty well documented in terms of the baggage we're talking about there. You got some uh, extracurricular stuff. You got some NCAA-related stuff. But I had someone text me the other day, and from a much more football-oriented standpoint, they said, hey, why does everyone think that Hugh Freeze is such a slam dunk as a football coach? And I really simply answered, well, he beat Saban two times in a row with now not much lesser, but a lesser roster, especially in terms of depth. Like they had some great frontline guys, but Ole Miss didn't have the depth, certainly, that Alabama did. But not only did he do that, I mean, Ole Miss, they were the classic uh uh-oh program. I mean, they were doing some things offensively that folks thought Auburn would be doing. Like Ole Miss ended up being offensively what folks thought Malzahn was going to be at Auburn. They were just a lot more consistent, a lot more effective. They had a better offensive talent roster. How they acquired that talent, well, that's a separate podcast, but they had the talent on the field. But not just that. He goes to Liberty, and it's like, boom, immediately. Now, Liberty's really good. I mean, Liberty is uh, in a situation, actually, where they they may win all but one of their games. They got a big one coming up Saturday and still may not be in a bowl. But in a normal year, obviously, they're in a bowl. And so in any year, this year or any year, Hugh Freeze is there. But uh, Tariq, I agree with you. I don't think that he would be the guy. Now, Billy Napier is another name you mentioned here. And you asked, would he just be Tom Herman 2.0 in Texas's eyes? I think that's a really good point. I think that's a very accurate way to describe how Texas brokers would view Billy Napier. They would say, all right, well, we think that he's a really good in-game guy. We think he's a really good recruiter, really good tactician, if you will. You could argue whether or not you believe Herman is that, but at the time he was coming to Texas, that's what everyone was saying about him. When he came to Houston from Ohio State, one of the big talking points underneath the surface in college football is, ooh, is Urban Meyer going to be able to get it done now that he lost Tom Herman? Ooh, this offense doesn't look the same without Tom Herman. Meanwhile, look what he's doing at Houston. So say what you will about him now. That was the overall sentiment at the time. And so you could look at Billy Napier. You could think the same way. He's at a smaller school. You know, there's not as much pressure at Louisiana, obviously, as there would be at Texas. But yet he still hasn't proven himself on the big stage. Do we want our stage? Do we want our vehicle, our Lamborghini here, to be the first set of sports car keys he ever has tossed to him. Do you want to take that risk again? Tariq put Will Muschamp in here, and that's good for a chuckle. Uh, He didn't think that Muschamp would be serious either, just for the record. Now, James Franklin's an interesting name. James Franklin is a guy who, every single major job opening that comes up, Franklin and his representation are very good at getting his name out there. doesn't matter if things are going good or going bad at Penn State. It's been more good than bad, but this year, obviously, is the latter. I think his name would be heavily involved if they couldn't get Urban Meyer. Whether it was serious or not, you and I may never know, but his name would be heavily involved. You can never know the full behind the scenes up there. You can never know what's going on in someone's personal life fully. I know that there is this notion, whether it's false or not, there's this notion that every year, you know, you seem to see some of those anonymous coaches polls where they call James Franklin the most overrated coach in the Big Ten or overrated coach in America. I don't always put a lot of stock in that. Could be true. Could just be envy. Could be jealousy. Could be the fact that he's just not popular with his peers. But you know what? A lot of greats 
were not necessarily popular with their peers. It's not a requirement that they like you. In fact, a lot of times, if your rivals like you, it's because they're able to beat your head in. So I don't need necessarily all the other coaches in FBS to love James Franklin to think he may be the right guy for Texas. Now, could you get him away from Penn State? That's a whole nother question. I think the Texas job is a better job than Penn State, but for the right guy. Because there's a lot on the table at Texas that doesn't necessarily involve football that you have to accept when you take that job. Is it for a guy like him or not? That would be a question. Brent Venables, who is at Clemson and feels like he's been there forever right now, uh, he's a defensive guy. Okay, so um, you know I, I hear a wide range of opinions on how you should go about this. Should you target an offensive or a defensive guy? Should you just target the right guy? And there are varying degrees of thought on that. Um, I don't know which way Texas would go. Maybe they'd look at Brent Vittables and say, he's the best candidate, so we're going to hire the best coach. And then if he's not an offensive guy, we'll give him the money to hire a top flight coordinator. And that'll be that. Could be that simple. Uh, It is widely believed that Brent Venables is not like Bud Foster, let's say, just to pull a name out of a hat. And Bud Foster's name when he was at Virginia Tech, it had come up every now and then. And Bud Foster was just going to be a defensive coordinator at Virginia Tech. That's what he was going to be. Some people think that about Venables. I don't necessarily know that that's the case. I think Brent Venables, and I think he's given some folks reason to believe he wants a shot at head coaching. But I think maybe in his mind, things have changed as he's been at Clemson and seen what he really wants to do defensively requires top flight talent. I don't think he's a guy who wants to go somewhere where he can't have top flight talent anymore. He's very spoiled at this point, as you and I would be if we got to coach the best. If a major job comes open, I think he'll listen. He's just not dying to crawl over broken glass to coach at the number 83 job in FBS to climb his way up the ladder. He's happy where he's at now, but you could have him. So if Texas wanted him, I believe they could have him. And To be honest, I think that's one of the very few jobs he would entertain leaving Clemson for. And then the last name on Tariq's list here is Mario Cristobal. And he says Texas should do this in a heartbeat. He can recruit coast to coast. Would Cristobal do it? Yeah, I think Mario Cristobal would do it. In fact, that's a whole other topic that I want to get into maybe in the offseason when we have a little more time. And that's not an Oregon problem at all. It's quite the opposite. It's a Pac-12 problem. Oregon just happens to be unfortunate enough to be in that conference right now. Uh, I don't know how realistic Cristobal would be. Again, this is all under the assumption or maybe the hypothetical notion that they can't get Urban Meyer, which, of course, only comes in the hypothetical world where Tom Herman is fired. But, I mean, if we're not delving in the hypotheticals, what in the world are we even doing on this podcast? Otto is up next. What is the worst question you've ever heard asked in an interview in a press conference? And do you also have a single favorite question that you've ever asked? Now, Otto, when I'm in postgame press conferences, typically I shut up because I am not a member of any team's beat, which is just the men and women who cover that team on a day-to-day basis. Now, it's my belief, this is just my personal feel, I want to keep my mouth shut so that those folks can do their job and they can get their questions in. I don't want to be the the national dude who comes in there and and takes up uh, very limited press time. Now, that's not a rule, and uh, it's not anything you have to go by. That's just always the way I've done it. And to be honest with you, those folks know those teams intimately. I just trust that they're going to get the right questions asked. Now, occasionally, I will have something that I want asked. But see, here's what we have at 24-7, for example, you saw over the spring and summer. We have the ability to get these head coaches for extended one-on-one periods. 
So that's the real setting where I love getting coaches. A perfect example, I'll answer your second part here first. You asked, is there a favorite question that I've ever asked? What I really loved was when we had Brian Kelly, head coach at Notre Dame, over the spring when we first went into quarantine and everything. And he was uh, very kind with his time. He spent like 30 minutes with me. We put 20 minutes of it up on the YouTube channel. And then the other team was just kind of chit-chat back and forth. And, um, you know, I was talking to him before we started recording about the perception of Notre Dame. The perception being that there's this tier one in college football and Notre Dame's not there because they haven't won a championship. And so Brian Kelly's really brutally honest. So he's saying, yeah, well, you're absolutely right. In fact, if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. So I said, well, green light. So we talked about it and I asked him and he was just very, very blunt and straightforward. He didn't do the whole coach speak cliche. We're just going to keep grinding, even though that's what you have to do. He addressed it head on. He said, no, we're not there yet. No, we hadn't won it yet. And we've had some shots and we've come up short. We have not gotten that program defining whim. But he said, you know what? I've been in this situation before. In fact, my previous stops, I've been in situations where we didn't get it done the first time. I mean, we had to take several cracks at it. But when we finally broke through, we broke through and we stayed there. And that's going to happen. He didn't speak in any kind of cloaked, hypothetical, well, maybe this, maybe that. He said it's going to happen at Notre Dame. Now, I don't know if this is going to be the year it happens, but I'll tell you this. I think they look as good right now as they have looked under him. And this hasn't been an overnight thing. He's been there a while now. I don't know if folks realize. I mean, he's been there a pretty good while. I think he's one of the most underrated coaches in America, uh, only because they constantly get called overrated. And I don't know where in the world that comes from. I've spoken about that at length on here. It's not like I was raised a Notre Dame fan, but I mean, my goodness, overrated. How many programs out there are better than them right now? You're going you're gonna to call them overrated. And then you're going to say, well, you're going to listen to me ask you what I just asked. All right, how many programs are better? And then you're going to name like five. And then you're going to think you've done your job. And I'm going to say, all right, keep going. You say, well, that's it. Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, that's really it. Okay, well, no one ever tells you they're a better program than those programs. What they tell you is they're a solid top seven right now. Well, that's not overrating Notre Dame. So I don't know where that comes from. In fact, I kind of do know where it comes from. I don't think it's valid. Let's say that. So as for the first part of the question here from Otto, the questions that I don't like and I cringe, I've been in many a Nick Saban press conference and I will know when it starts to go downhill. And here's where it starts to go downhill. When anyone starts questioning personnel decisions or play calling decisions, it is going downhill quick. And um, he is not bashful. In fact, he kind of does restrain himself because any of these coaches, if they really wanted to, when 98% of reporters ask them play calling related questions, they could tie them intellectually into a pretzel in like 2.5 seconds flat. If they really wanted to do it, they could supremely and utterly humiliate folks if they really wanted to. Now they don't because they understand it's very disrespectful to handle folks that way. And they're doing a job just like the coach is doing a job. However, there are these times where someone will st- <laughs> oh, it's bad. Someone will I want to start to ask questions like that. I'll tell you one other very funny moment. Uh, once upon a time, I had one of my buddies. Um, I got him a sideline pass to an Alabama game. And um, afterwards, I take him into uh, Saban's press conference. I can't remember when this was. It was a while back. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, we don't need to cut that out, Jordan. So anyway, I uh, seat him right there on the front row. And what happens in a postgame press conference setting is normally – 
you'll walk in there and uh, like Josh Maxson, who's the SID for Alabama, you know, he'll stand off to the side and he'll say, raise your hand if you want to ask coach a question. We'll eventually get you a microphone. So you'll raise your hand and, you know, he knows most of the folks in there by name. So he'll just jot it down and then he'll call on you in order and they'll have time for some and they won't have time for some. Well, a dude next to my buddy on the front row in the Nick Saban press conference raises his hand. And um, so about four or five questions later, Maxson points right there on the front row and looks like he's pointing at my buddy. My buddy is terrified. I mean, he's he's like ghost white out of his mind. And that microphone comes towards him, comes towards him. And then Josh Maxson goes, no, 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 the guy next to him. But there was this split second there where my friend, who did not grow up an Alabama fan by any stretch, my friend thinks that he's about to be handed a microphone to ask Saban a question. And that was probably the funniest moment that I've ever seen in one of those post-game press conference settings. And Otto, I'm not even sure that you asked for a humorous moment, but I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. All right, Ben is up next. And Ben says, (laughs) here's a loaded question. Ben says, what do you think the problem is at Michigan? Now, you probably have some knowledge behind the scenes, maybe more than I do. So I was wondering if you think it is a buy-in issue from boosters, the AD, other people in power behind the scenes. Is it a Jim Harbaugh issue? Is the program just in need of the right coach? Or do you believe there is some other issue going on? Well, Ben, I wouldn't say that I have any more knowledge of the inner workings of the Michigan program than you do. I watch them just like you do on Saturdays. I didn't grow up covering Michigan. You know, I don't have intimate knowledge of the inner workings of the program, maybe a little bit, but I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm no Michigan insider by any stretch. However, my perception of that program that's backed up when I talk to some folks that are close to the Michigan program is, uh, and this is a harsh truth. This is a harsh pill to swallow, but I think it's necessary. And I think it's true. I just don't think football is as important to Michigan as it is to some of the other big boys that you want to compare yourself to. Now, here's what I didn't say, Ben. What I didn't say is you don't care about football as much as your Ohio State buddies do. What I said is the folks that you're listing there, boosters, ADs, other people in power, those were your words. Too many of those folks are of the opinion that good enough is enough. And it's not enough. If you want to compete and try and be the best in this sport, you can't just be good enough. You know, you can't just get by and be happy with graduation rates. And, you know, we don't have any guys in the headlines for the wrong reason. And, you know, we're, we're a nice, nice, competitive, scrappy program. Nah, that's to me, that's never been good enough for Michigan. But then again, you got to understand, I, I'm raised in the South. So, you know, what's going on with Jim Harbaugh there right now would never fly at Georgia, Florida, you know, Florida State, Alabama, Auburn. It would never fly where I'm from. Uh, So that's kind of a foreign concept to me. But at the same time, you know, I'm smart enough to understand different programs, different universities, should I say, have different priorities. There's nothing wrong with that. But see, the problem is there is a very, very large contingent associated with Michigan that wants to be very good and very rabid about football. And so, Ben, your problem as you define it, here, here is the problem. What you see is a problem too many people at Michigan probably don't see as a problem. Like you look at the state of the program right now, and then you compare it to your other big rivals and the other big boys in the sport uh, in holding places that you want to eventually get to. And you look at how you stand up to them and you think that's a big problem. And unfortunately, a lot of folks behind the scenes, too many of them, shall we say behind the scenes there, they probably don't view it as that big a problem. It's not ideal. They would love in a perfect world to be able to compete, but it's not the end all be all. They're not losing sleep tonight. And you got to be losing sleep. I mean, you got to be sick to your stomach until you can get that stuff right. 
And that just doesn't exist there. It doesn't exist in large enough quantities to right now believe that Michigan's in a position to change that. Because that's a culture thing, really. I mean, that's what it boils down to. So here's the follow-up question. I talked about this on Late Kick Live on Sunday. I don't believe they're going to fire Jim Harbaugh. I do not believe that at all. I've been given zero reason to believe otherwise. However, if we want to go back down the hypothetical road, there is a world, I'm not going to say it's a high percentage chance, but there is a world in which Jim Harbaugh and Michigan mutually decide to part ways at the end of the year. Okay, that wouldn't be the wildest thing to ever happen in the history of the sport. If that happened, and let's just for the sake of argument say Matt Campbell came in there from Iowa State. Here's the bigger question to me. How would a coach go about changing that? How would a head coach, the right one, uh, maybe it's Matt Campbell, maybe it's someone else, but even if you got the right one, even if you nailed the hire and you got the best candidate possible, is it within the power of the right coach to change that culture? I don't think so because at that point it would mean the coach is bigger than what Michigan currently is. I mean, that by default is what it takes. Like when I was talking about Saban a little while ago, when Saban walked into Alabama, he was larger than life. Uh, And it took that because Alabama had some internal rot that they had to get out of there. They had to flush the pipes completely. Now there, there was a little bit different problem, but there was still a problem that was standing between them and big success on the national stage. Well, there's a problem at Michigan and it's just complacency. And it's the good enough is enough mentality that also stands between Michigan and competing on the national stage. My question is, is that something any head coach is capable of going in there and changing? Forget willing. Everyone's willing. Well, the coaches would be willing. Would they be capable of it? Would they be allowed to do that? Jim Harbaugh hasn't been. You know, for all we know, Jim Harbaugh has been the right candidate for Michigan. And for all we know, behind the scenes, he's been hamstrung to the point where, you know, maybe it was impossible all along for him to ever succeed in competing with Ohio State. I don't know that. I'm just saying, for all we know, that could be a case. Because who in the world thought Jim Harbaugh was going to fail this spectacularly a few years ago when he was hired? I can assure you it had me fooled. It absolutely had me fooled. I mean, I remember, and I'll listen, I'm brave enough to tell you this. There is no evidence of it out there, so I don't have to do this. But I remember I was down in Columbus, uh, Georgia, doing TV at the time. When Harbaugh got hired, I may have been doing radio, but I remember when Harbaugh got hired, I was so defiant. I was ready to hit record on this hot take I had, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seal this thing in ice, and I'm just going to display it until the end of time. I said, hey, you know what's about to happen in the Big Ten? Jim Harbaugh is going to do to Urban Meyer in the Big Ten exactly what Nick Saban did to him in the SEC. Saban came in, and a few years later, Urban Meyer was gone. Well, Jim Harbaugh is going to come in, and a few years later, Urban Meyer is going to be gone. Now, you want to talk about freezing cold takes. That's one for the ages right there. And as it turns out, Urban's still gone. But it wasn't Jim Harbaugh that chased him away, friends. That much is for sure. Um, So I don't know. I I really, the state of the Michigan program is a lot like the state of other programs that don't succeed in football. The difference is the reputation of Michigan is a giant, is a blue blood in the sport. And yet, the DNA of that program does not scream that at all right now. All right, next up, this is a really good one. Russell's got one, and I want you to think right along with me. That's the best kind of podcast we do anyway. I Listen, if it's up to me to do all the thinking on this thing, we're going to sink pretty quick. So I want you to think along with me. I'm going to do that aggravating thing that I told you I do last week, and here's how it sounds. I'm going to tell you exactly what Russell said here, and you're going to think along with me right after this. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, I hate when I do that every bit as much as you do, but at least you heard some of that ad read at the very least. All right, let's get into Russell's question here. He said, need you to settle an argument for me. I'm a Georgia Southern alumni, but as a side note, a lifelong Florida football fan. My friends from college and I have a constant argument about the decision of Georgia Southern to move to the FBS level. Now, my argument is the Idaho Famous Potato Bowl means less than a potential FCS national championship. I've often tried to explain that home playoff games over the semester break trump regular season Sunbelt home games versus ULM in the middle of the semester. And the playoff is more fun and it has a better atmosphere. Their counterargument is that the money and the exposure and having an FBS tag alone makes it more meaningful. And they believe Georgia Southern moving to the G5 is the first step in becoming the next Boise, TCU, UCF, Cincinnati, etc. I disagree. I'd just like to get your take on this argument. Does a lower-end bowl game like the Potato Bowl or the Camellia Bowl or the Bahama Bowl, etc., have more meaning and significance than that of an FCS national championship? Signed, Russell. Russell, this all comes down to understanding who you are, defining who you are. Okay, there's a big difference, respectfully, between Georgia and Georgia Southern. Obviously, if you have the resources of a University of Georgia, I mean, you want to compete at the highest levels the sport has to offer. But you know what there's nothing wrong with? There's nothing wrong with being completely in touch with who you are. Like if you're five foot eight, well, you're probably not winning a slam dunk contest. There's no reason to strive for it. But you know what you could do? You could end up being, you know, Muggsy Bogues, for example, and be one of the best ball handlers in the history of the NBA. Know who you are. Georgia Southern, I was kind of surprised, to be honest with you. I'm on your side of this argument. So um, I was surprised when they made the move to FBS. I understand the reasoning. Don't get me wrong. But your friends, you know, like ask them, when is the last time the revenue streams and amount of overall gross revenue for Georgia Southern athletics impacted their life? Like a lot, This is like caring about TV ratings. Like a lot of fans end up getting sucked into this because the business end of college football is covered now. There are people paid to just cover the business of college sports, so you read a lot more about it. This never used to matter to the casual fan or the diehard fan. It never used to matter what kind of bowl payoff you got. It, it never used to matter how your attendance figures measured against the other teams in your division. How many people watched your game coast to coast? That never really used to matter. What mattered is your connection with your team, and if it's the school you went to, there's an added connection, but that's really all that mattered. And so if you boil it down to that, then dude, there's no comparison here. 
Those FCS playoff games are awesome. I love watching them, first off. I greatly enjoy watching those more than taking a couple of teams a thousand miles away from home to play in a stadium 90% empty that's basically just a product of inventory on the shelf in bowl season for a major network. I mean, that's what that is. They might as well play the games in a TV studio. The fans are irrelevant at that point. So I'm with you. Now, listen, there is the lottery aspect of what you said. Okay, yes, you could become the next Boise or UCF or Cincinnati. Yeah, you could do that. But you know what? There's a much greater chance of you being. There's a much greater chance of you being exactly what you are right now. And that is an afterthought in the G5 landscape of FBS in college football. Now, maybe that changes one day for Georgia Southern, obviously. I mean, you know, those programs weren't always what they are now. But that's a long, long, arduous uphill battle. If I were in your shoes, I'd rather be where you were. Because Georgia Southern, man, they were no joke when they were at the FCS level. No one wanted to play them. I mean, my goodness, they went into Tuscaloosa one time as an FCS team and um, probably provided one of the most famous Nick Saban postgame press conference moments of all time. So listen, if Georgia's, if Georgia Southern's my team, I want to be fun and I want to be competitive and I want to have a realistic shot to win a championship. They don't have a realistic shot to win the college football playoff national championship. They just don't. Uh, that's a, that's a one in a 10 trillion type scenario. But in the FCS, well, that's a whole different story. And you're absolutely right about those home playoff games versus going to Idaho. <laughs> there are no direct flights from Statesboro to Boise. I don't have to check. Even Southwest doesn't service that connection. All right, next up here, moving right along, David says, if you had the ability to choose any program you wanted to be the next Clemson, who would you choose and why? David, I think the answer to this is Texas A&M. Texas A&M has been a sleeping giant in college football for a long, long time. And I think uh, according to the criteria here, the next Clemson, well, this needs to be a team that hasn't won a national championship uh, either period or in a couple of generations. And so that is Texas A&M, obviously. That's why I wouldn't pick you know, Florida State. Like F Florida State obviously could do that. Miami could do that. But they already have a history of sustained runs of excellence. Texas A&M at the national level, well, that trophy case doesn't look like it does at Florida State or at Miami or at Clemson right now, but it could. Uh, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, except space standing between Texas A&M's potential and being one of the best programs in America, being one of the highest achieving programs in America. They haven't done it, but there's never been a bigger discrepancy between what history shows you are and what the present and the future shows you can be. There's nothing limiting them. I always ask folks who laugh at this notion, because I think A&M could be a perennial powerhouse. Like, I think that. And some people will scoff at it. And I'll say, what are you laughing at? And I'll say, A&M, they're, they're not a traditional power program. Well, who in the world cares what traditionally they've been? Here's what matters, if I, especially if I'm the right coach, if I'm Jimbo Fisher and I think I'm the right guy. I don't care what you did in 1997. I care about having everything I need to win. So I look at Alabama. I look at Georgia. I look at LSU last year. Like I look at what those programs, the ones who win consistently, Florida, what do they have down here in my conference in the SEC? What does Clemson have that I don't have? I'm going to wait. Remember, we're talking about pinpoint right now, this point in time, moving forward. What are those programs going to have that I don't have? They can have better facilities. No. They can have more money. Absolutely not. Are they going to have a bigger stadium, better game day experience? Have you guys been to a game at A&M, by the way? 
I went for the first time last year. That's like football being played on a different planet. It is a culture. It is an environment unique to anything in America. It was awesome. Like I, I always had people say, you need to go to A&M, you know, because they're still relatively new in the Southeastern Conference. So folks like me, you know, I'd been to Gainesville and Athens and Tuscaloosa, Knoxville, Baton Rouge, Auburn a million times. I'd never been to College Station. I went for the Alabama game last year. Man, that's awesome. I was on the field for that game. And it was a blowout, as it turns out. But I kept thinking as I was standing there and listening to how it sounded like a jet engine in your ears and listening to that place and wondering, wow, like what what would this place be like if A&M was toting a number one next to their name or number two or number three? And they had a sustained run where like that was the norm and you had to go into that place and play and you had to play A&M as one of the best teams in the country. Listen, they're building a better roster. I mean, they, their product this year is the best it's been so far under Jimbo Fisher. Here's what really stands in the way. And here's what people really scoff at. If you're going to do that at A&M, we all understand you got to go through Nick Saban and Alabama to do it. And that's really all that stands in the way. And yes, that is a massive hurdle. I understand that. But you know what else has to happen? You know what had to happen for Clemson? They had to go through Alabama too. The only difference is they got to wait until the national championship to do it, but they've done it. A couple times now, they've done it. So don't don't think for a second it can't be done. It can be done. You just got to be fully invested, which they are at AM. Uh, you got to have the right quarterback, which they don't have yet, and that's the other biggest hurdle. And that's what AM is waiting for. To me, that's when they explode. When they get a superstar quarterback in there, that's when they'll explode. In fact, they fit that description even more than a Notre Dame or a Penn State. Not that those programs don't, but dude, if you look at what else they have there in a given year, like what their roster typically has been, if you add a, a Deshaun Watson onto their team, if you added a Trevor Lawrence or a Tua Tonga-Vailoa onto Texas A&M's team, they're an instant national championship contender. All right, got time for a couple more here. Let's go to Buckeye Nerd. And uh, Buckeye Nerd, or Ben, as I'm going to call him from here on out, could this be the year to expand to an 18 playoff just as a one-off, i.e. not crossing the Rubicon to anything permanent? There are people, even under the umbrella of 24-7 sports, who have been adamant and adamant in their support of this idea. I'm not sold on it. I'm not sold for two reasons. Number one, I don't think, in all honesty, if we expand this thing, it's contracting right back to four, and it's going to be treated as a one-off, even if those are the auspices under which it's presented to me. That's firstly, and you know I don't support college football playoff expansion. That, in and of itself, is yet again another podcast. Secondly, what is it solving, really? And this goes to a bigger issue that I have. Sometimes, in fact, a lot of times in this whole college football playoff thing, this debate that we have at the end of every year, which in and of itself is not a bad thing, but within the debate, I don't know what's happened lately, but there's this assumption that if someone's upset, that means there's something wrong. Well, that's not always the case, okay? There are always going to be folks upset. Just because someone's upset they finish number five or six doesn't automatically mean the system's messed up. It just means that they didn't do enough to get one of those top four spots. And here is the third part. I know I said there was only two. Here's the third part. I'm looking around this year. Who do I see that potentially could get screwed out of this four-team field that I think could be good enough to win a title? Have you watched Alabama play? Have you seen them lately? Do you understand what it's going to take to beat them? Like There are a lot of things I'd love to see in life. I'd like to see a worldwide vaccine for COVID issued in everyone's mailbox tomorrow. Okay, I'd love to see everyone's bank account just show up with a million dollars tomorrow morning that came from nowhere. What I don't need to see 
Is Alabama hang 35 in the first half on some haphazardly placed G5 team in the playoff just to appease everyone and include everyone? That's not what the playoffs should be. It's not what I think it needs to be this year. Like, I know what the arguments for this are, but in reality, I don't think you're accomplishing any more by doing it this year than you would be in any other year. And I don't think you're accomplishing anything doing it any year, period. And that's my story there. Uh, last one this morning is from Tom. <laughs> it's probably not going to be that long, Tom. Tom says, I'm an LSU fan. Is it time to panic? Yup. Now, maybe not long-term, Tom, or maybe so long-term. But I'm telling you, it's going to be a bad Saturday for you. And you know I love you guys at LSU. And I was there step-for-step step with you last year. I was at the Alabama game last year when you guys went into Tuscaloosa and won. I was... I was the the whole thing that's being uh, had a big deal made of this week about Ed Orgeron's post game comments and whatnot. I was in LSU's media room, which it, it, I've told you stories before about the visiting media room and visiting locker rooms on the road. It's great. Oh, it's so cramped. It's just it's it's wonderful. I love it. A lot of people complain about it, but I love it. Well, anyway, I'm standing in there, and it's a shared wall. Like the, the wall I'm leaning on, it connects to the LSU locker room. So I heard all that going on in there. The roll tide, blank you, what, blah, blah, blah. Well, listen, that's not out of place for Ed Orgeron. Like, I've heard that from him before. The only difference was someone happened to be recording in there on there. I can't remember who it was, but they were streaming it. And so that got out. And so I had heard it, man. I had heard it. And then like four hours later on my drive home, one of my buddy who I was with said, oh, man, did you see this? I said, what? And he said, Orgeron's postgame comments. And I said, yeah, I mean, I, I heard him. You heard him. What are you talking about? And he goes, no, 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 no. Look, someone was recording it. And I said, oh, no. Because <laughs> I, I knew at the time, man. I remember thinking at the time, if people could hear what I'm hearing right now, this would blow the Internet up. Well, it turns out people heard what I heard at that time. And it did blow the Internet up. They are going to crucify LSU Saturday. Bama, Bama is, I know I say it a lot, but when I say paint the walls with someone's blood, that's what they intend to do Saturday. They got kids on that team that came back for this game. They could have gone to the NFL. They came back for this game. Uh, it is intensely personal there. So the fact that this game is even going to be gotten off the ground, and to be honest, I'm still not convinced, but if it is, that one's going to be ugly with a capital U. That lines up to 30 and a half as I record here late Monday night. I still don't know that it's high enough. I've been wrong on this stuff before, but I'm telling you, I think Alabama is going to be – like you've rarely seen them before in a game where a point spreads that fat. There's a lot, there's a lot behind the motivation for them Saturday. I don't care what Nick Saban says about external factors, not motive. It may not motivate him, but my goodness, he's got some dudes in that locker room that will be frothing at the mouth when they come out Saturday. So Tom, um, just head to Home Depot Saturday. If you got some chores, if you got some backyard projects you want to get out of the way, go ahead and schedule those for Saturday night. Uh, CBS is putting this in prime time. It could carry a TV 14 rating on it. I'm just telling you, it's not going to be a pretty thing. As for the long term, Tom, I'm up in the air on this. I, it, this, you know, this year, the fact that it's a down year for them, that's not the biggest shock in the world. I think the, um, the, the steepness with which the hill has been that this team's fallen down and this program's fallen down, that, that's worrisome. It's worrisome because if they were to have been competitive this year, lost some close games, and let's say they went six and four. Yeah, I mean, that wouldn't be ideal, but you'd look at it and say, hey, that's what happens when you lose all those guys. But they haven't been competitive in some games this year. 
And then uh, you get to the off season and it's like, do we, do we really just expect them to show back up revitalized and ready to go in 2021? Uh, what kind of staff changes are you going to make? Cause clearly it was a swing and a miss on the defensive coordinator hire with Bo Pelini. And so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I got Orgeron throwing Ensminger under the bus after the A&M game. Didn't like the plan, even though the head coach presumably approves the plans for every single game that you play. So uh, Tom, I, I don't want to be one to incite panic. Uh, you did just win a national championship, of course, but I, I wouldn't have my mind totally at ease right now about the future of the LSU program. Let me just say that. All right, quick reminder on our way out, if you want to hop on one of these one-on-one Zoom sessions with me, if you're interested in getting into the world of sports media, I have been up late tonight. You know, I'm recording this like 2 a.m. only because I was up late. I talked with a couple of you tonight, uh, one from LSU, actually, and another from uh, North Carolina. And it's just what we're doing here. What I'm doing here is I'm, I'm setting aside blocks of time yeah, they're very limited. So first come, first serve. And I'm setting aside blocks of time every week. For those of you who want to get into this business, you think you have the talent or the passion or hopefully both to get into the business and you just don't know how. Maybe you want to build a YouTube channel, podcast. You just don't know how. Major hiccup there. Um, email me. We'll talk about it. JoshPate706 at gmail.com or at LateKickJosh on Twitter. And ask that you follow me on Twitter at LateKickJosh. Again, we release a lot of our official best bets on there too that uh, I don't want to wait to put on the show because sometimes the lines move. And I put out a typo. I guess it was a Spico the other night because it came out of my mouth. I said we're only at 58% against the spread. That's false. That I lied on myself. We're at 60.5% against the spread. I just miscounted. And so really good year so far. We're going to try and keep that one rolling. Got some more best bets coming tonight on the show. Make sure you're tuned in. Make sure you're subscribed to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And make sure you leave a five-star review on this podcast. And with that, I bid you adieu, or bid you to do, as some of my buddies back home in Forts and GA like to say. Erroneously, but I never correct them on it. You guys have yourselves a great Tuesday. Stay warm, especially if you're in Nashville. We had snow all day yesterday. So stay warm, stay safe, enjoy your week. I will see you later tonight. Thank you for listening to the Late Kick Extra Podcast, and God bless. Plus. You're ready, Bob. Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.